0: Luke chapter 1 in your Bibles, Luke 1. We'll read a few verses together and pray. I hope you'll listen tonight. It's one of those things that changes your life if you ever get a hold of it and live it. And someone asked me for counsel last week. They came to me and said, Pastor, I, I'm having, and I won't say what the issue is, but I'm having this issue, this struggle in my life, my Christian life, a godly man. He's, and he said, what is the solution? I said, the solution. Is gratitude. The solution to everything is gratitude. Everything as a Christian. And uh, this sort of lends to that as well. Luke 1, verse 41. And she spake out with a loud voice and said, Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb. And whence is this to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For lo, as soon as the voice of thy salutation sounded in mine ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. And blessed is he that believed. Is she that believed? For there shall be a performance of those things which were told her from the Lord. And Mary said, my soul doth magnify the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. And Lord, just please help us. A lot of folks here are tired. They've worked hard today. And I just pray you'll help all of us to be focused and our hearts open to what you have for us. Here in your word how many various ways, how many different texts and through different people in your word you've taught and demonstrated and exhorted us with this singular, singular, great discipline of the Christian life. And thank you for this one as well, in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke chapter 1, notice again Mary's response to the amazing news that she had just received from her cousin Elizabeth. Verse 44, for lo, as soon as the voice of thy salutation sounded in mine ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. We do not believe in abortion in this place. Amen. Amen. And blessed is she that believed. For there shall be a performance of those things which were told her from the Lord. And Mary said, my soul doth magnify the Lord. In other words, Mary's immediate response to the blessings of God The news of those, an instant answer, if you will, to the glory and the wonder that she had just heard was to magnify the Lord. And, you know, she's quoting here Psalm 69. You're going to see a lot of verses from that psalm and other psalms in a moment. And perhaps even Hannah in 1 Samuel. And after saying, my soul, my soul doth magnify the Lord. Well, guess what happens? For the next 18 verses, all the way down to verse 55, this is precisely what she does. So that in other words, Mary doesn't just throw around the word magnify. People do that all the time. I will magnify, magnify the Lord, this will magnify the Lord. They throw it around. And she doesn't just make some sort of poetic promise. I'm going to magnify the Lord. She actually defines it by doing it. And in so doing, she shows us how to do it. Because that's the definition of our lives. We're supposed to magnify God, to give God praise. Psalm 6930 says, I will praise the name of God with a song. I will magnify Him. With what? I will magnify Him with thanksgiving. Now, folks, beside the fact that this is a song from Mary's soul, it's called the Magnificat, as some people have called it. It's a song from her heart. Notice the first thing that she says, I will magnify the Lord. Verse 6 again, and Mary said, my soul doth magnify the Lord. There's a comma. And my spirit hath rejoiced in God, my Savior. So that, yeah, rejoicing, thanksgiving, rejoicing, gratitude. This is how... You magnify the Lord. And if you're wondering tonight, how can a person magnify God? He's already great. He's already mighty. I am certainly not going to make him appear bigger than he is. So that what is it? What does Mary and what what does David mean in these texts by, quote, magnifying God? Well, think about this for a moment. Think of the difference between a microscope and a telescope. With a microscope, what you're doing is making something that's teeny tiny, something very small, appear to be larger or greater than it is. An ant, a grain of sand, a single cell. With a telescope, what you're actually doing is the opposite. You're looking at something that is vast, say Saturn or Jupiter, You're looking at something great, something vast that appears to be very small to your eye. And you're trying to see it, you're trying to reveal it, if you will, for how immense and how immeasurable it really is. In the Bible, Christians are never called to be microscopes. We're not called to be spiritual con men, if you will, who take something that's small and insignificant and try to magnify it out of all proportion. That's what religion does. That's what cults do. That's even what humanism does. What we are called to do is simply reveal the truth. We are called to look at that which appears to be small or hidden or cloaked and like a telescope magnify it as best we can for how beautiful and magnificent it truly is. And yes, as our text tells us, one of the first single, maybe the greatest way, arguably, to magnify God is with praise. It is rejoicing, your life rejoices in God, thanking Him for all the manifold blessings that He has provided and continues to provide. Just glance over this. Glance over Mary's gratitude in this song that she writes right there on the spot, quoting no less than 14 Old Testament texts. Verse 46, And Mary said, My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. Can I stop here for a minute? When was the last time that your soul rejoiced? When was the last time that your soul rejoiced? Because you're supposed to be magnifying God, I am too. Well, notice what she says. For he hath regarded the low estate of his handmaiden. For behold, from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. She was right about that. For he that is mighty hath done to me great things, and holy is his name. And his mercy is on them that fear him from generation to generation. And he hath showed strength with his arm, he hath scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts, he hath put down the mighty from their seats, and exalted them of low degree. He hath filled the hungry with good things. Verse 58, he hath hope on her help, his he servant Israel, in remembrance of his mercy. Wow, Mary says that she's going to magnify God, and all she does to accomplish this magnifying of God is just give thanks. She's counting her blessings, one by one. I mentioned Psalm 69. I want you to look on the screen at the verse so you can actually see it. Psalm 69, verse 30 says this, I will praise the name of God with a song and will magnify Him with thanksgiving. Any question in this room about how we as God's people, Mary shows us, David told us, how in our lives we magnify God when all we have to do is praise Him, rejoice, thanksgiving. It's interesting because of this psalm here, this where he says, I will praise the name of God. You know how it begins, if you remember it at all. It begins with him talking about he's sinking down in the mire. He says that he's weary from his crying until his throat is dried up. He says that he's wearing sackcloth for mourning. In verse 14, he says this. Put this on the screen. Deliver me out of the mire and let me not sink. Let me be delivered from them that hate me and out of the deep waters. Let not the water flood overflow me, neither let the deep swallow me up, and let not the pit shut her mouth upon me. And so it goes with David, this whole psalm. So it goes. And for Mary, understand that until that very moment, her life was filled with fear, trepidation, poverty. What's going to happen? All the way with David, he goes down to verse 29, and you'll look at that on the screen. I am poor and sorrowful. Let thy salvation, O God, set me up on high. I will praise the name of God. I will. Remember that a few weeks ago? I will. I will praise the name of God with a song and will magnify him with what? With thanksgiving. David, in other words, is not magnifying himself with thanksgiving because he's not magnifying even the Lord, because his health is good or his portfolio is growing or his promotion came in. That would be a microscope. Taking something little, which is David, a man, and causing it to appear bigger than it is. But instead, he's looking at his circumstances and then way beyond those and beyond himself, and he magnifies an unchanging God with these words of gratitude. And I want you to notice how his gratitude there, because again, Mary quotes from that song, mirrors the same thing of Mary in three ways. It does so, number one, with praise for God's mercy. Now, you're in Luke 1, but before we look at Luke 1, compare what it says here in verse 5 of Psalm 69. O God, thou knowest my foolishness, my sins are not hid from thee. Now, I want you to ponder this for a moment. Who are we in this room? Amazing people pulled ourselves bootstraps, and now we're godly? Verse 13 says, But as for me, my prayer is unto thee, O Lord, in an acceptable time, O God, in the multitude of thy mercy. Hear me in the truth of thy salvation. And then you'll see verse 32, The humble shall see this and be glad, and your heart shall live that seek God. For the Lord heareth the poor and despiseth not his Prisoners. Now follow this carefully. Now you're in Luke 1, right? Here's Mary. Look down at your Bibles at verse 47. And my spirit hath rejoiced in what? God my Savior. Can I tell you something? If you need a Savior, that means you're lost. You need salvaging. Mary was a sinner. A sinner who needed a Savior. And she's praising God for that. For he hath, verse 48, regarded the low estate of his handmaiden. Verse 49, for he that is mighty hath done to me great things and holy is his name. And then verse 50, and his mercy is on them. There's that mercy again, right? Praising God for his mercy. His mercy is on them that fear him from generation to generation. Exactly what David said. Now, folks, can we just think about this for one moment? How grateful are we, have we rejoiced in our soul for just the mercy of God? To what degree is our lives magnifying God? Simply by praising Him for His mercy. Oh, Pastor, it's hard right now. It was hard for David. I mean, again, we read those verses. It's hard for Mary here up at this point. It's hard for me right now, Pastor, to be grateful because, you know, with all that's going on in the world, and you add to that my bursitis and car broke down, there's so much pollen. <laughs> I hear you. I don't know what I'm going to be thankful for. How am I supposed to magnify God? I understand this guy, he's driving a new car. How am I supposed to magnify God? How about this? How about the truth that God's mercy is so great and so rich that he has made an unworthy, lost, sinful soul like you, one of his own redeemed children. How about that as a reason to rejoice in your soul? You know, it's interesting to me that in our text, when Elizabeth is about to deliver her child, all of her family and all of her friends looked at her in one particular, from one particular aspect of God's nature. Chapter 1, look at verse 52. He hath put down the mighty, mighty in their seats and exalted them of low degree. He hath filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he hath sent empty away. Verse 50, 37, 57 says Now Elizabeth full time came that she should be delivered, and she brought forth a son. And her neighbors and her cousins heard how the Lord had showed what? Great mercy great mercy upon her and they rejoiced with her do you know that it is theologically correct to see good things from God as actually being mercies of God why because we didn't deserve it so every good thing that's why the Bible says in Lamentations 3 it is of God's mercies that we are not consumed It's only by God's mercy you're even here tonight. So magnify the Lord. Magnify the Lord with thanksgiving because He is merciful. Psalm 103, you're going to see it on your screen. Familiar words. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits. Here's the very first one, who forgiveth all thine iniquities. Amen. That is mercy. That He's forgiven us. Yesterday, I read an article in Smithsonian Magazine. Marcella used to get them free at, uh, in the church office. And I have a bunch of them. And in this article, it described a relatively recently discovered Thermopylaeum, they called, call them in Pompeii. Now, that's first century Rome. Thermopylae were found throughout the Roman Empire, actually all through the different cities that we know of in the Bible. But the ones at Pompeii are are preserved, amazingly preserved, because of Mount Vesuvius and that whole tragedy. So what is a Thermopylaeum? It was Rome's equivalent to a fast food restaurant. There are pictures in this article, and they're amazing. These excavations here in Smithsonian Magazine, and it's, it's pretty ingenious. They had these long counters. With earthenware jars, they were called dolia, and they were embedded to keep the food warm whenever they picked it up and wherever they were going. And so if Claudius wanted a quick snack or whatever, or Maximus needed some food for his family, and they're on a journey somewhere, then they would pull their chariots up and they would order these fish bites and nuts and cheese and something that was called garum. It was a sauce made out of fish guts that was all over the empire like our modern version is ketchup, and they would be everywhere. They dipped everything in it. And so as I read this, it sounded like a Mediterranean diet, definitely more healthy than Burger King or Taco Bell. I can tell you that right now. But similar to fast food in that fast food places because the Roman Thermopylae would stay open really late late into the night and so people would go there who were drunk and troublemakers forget the munchies right they would go there just like they do today and for that reason they and because they were everywhere in the empire they eventually got a bad reputation Caesar actually threatened to sh- shut them down unless they got they were dirty they got really cleaned up you hear that Burger King shut them down that's what I say but here's what was intriguing to me. One of the excavations, I read this yesterday, the ruins of Thermopylae uh, Thermopyla, um, apparently had an entire family. You know how Pompeii, when it erupted, people were frozen in time. And they were ordering takeout at one of these fast food places. This drive-thru, they perished in this you know, pyroclastic blast and flow and they were frozen in time. And I just paused for a minute, and I looked at that, and I thought, wow. 2,000 Pompeians died in Pompeii, and then another 16,000 in the little towns in and around Mount Vesuvius. And they're just going on with our lives. Just like you stopped at the store, the Circle K, some drive-in. And not with the light of the gospel that we have. And I just pondered that for a moment. And their whole families, their lives were gone in a moment. Think about that the next time you're in a drive-thru or at a rest stop in the turnpike somewhere. Or walking into the gas station. And realize that we're not better than the people of Pompeii. For that matter, we're not better than the 44,300 people in Turkey three weeks ago, in the past three weeks, who have died so far because of that recent earthquake in Turkey and Syria. We complain about the ice cream machine being down at McDonald's, right? What we could do, and in fact what we could actually be grateful for, is the mercy of God that we are not consumed because His mercies are new every single morning. And since we do have the gospel, and if you've received it and you're saved, you never really will be consumed. Remember the words of our Lord when he told the disciples they came back and they were all pumped and excited about the demons being subject? The demons. And Jesus said, don't rejoice about that. Because maybe tomorrow they won't be. Maybe it's not my will tomorrow. But rejoice in this. If you're going to rejoice, rejoice in this, that your names are written in heaven. Because if they're written in heaven, they'll be written in heaven tomorrow. And when things are really bad in your life. I've never asked, I asked a moment ago, are you glad you're saved? I've never asked, are you glad you're rich? I've never said, are you glad you're handsome today? It would just be me and Brother Steve saying amen, just us. But I do say, are you glad you say? Rejoice, Jesus said, because your names are written in heaven. Well, that means you can rejoice today, tomorrow, every day, and an hour from now when you have a flat tire. Magnify him. Our job, our calling, our great responsibility and joy is to magnify God. Thanksgiving. How? Thanking him for his mercy. But also, number two, thanking him for his provision. Look at Luke 1 again. Here's what Mary says, he hath, verse 53, he hath filled the hungry with good things. Isn't that an interesting thing for Mary to say when she's, she's hearing, you know, John the Baptist leaped in the womb. In my womb is the Son of God, the Savior of the world. And she's, she's magnifying the Lord and she's praising God and so she says, you know, he feeds us with good things. Man, I had some yummy stuff this morning. It's so good. He feeds us with good things. In Psalm 69, as David did the same thing, magnifying God with thanksgiving. Notice what he says in verse 16. It should be on your screen. Hear me, O Lord, for thy loving kindness is good. Turn unto me according to the multitude of thy tender mercies. And then in verse 35... For the Lord heareth the poor and despiseth not his prisoners. It's almost identical to what Mary says. His loving kindness. By the way, do you know what loving kindness is? He talks about building and possessions and dwelling in this text. Because inasmuch as the redeemed beloved have eternal possessions, we have eternal habitations. A house in heaven not made with hands. It's also true that God provides and God blesses His people right here, right now, with possessions and places. I have a house. I have a roof over my head. It's because God's good. The word loving kindness, loving and kind. The Hebrew word is "kased." The ancient rabbis used to say that the Torah begins with kased and it ends with kased. It's a vital word in the Bible. And what it essentially references are just acts and deeds of kindness. Kindness that is motivated by love, thus loving kindness. It is a core attribute of the God that you love and who loves you. And that's why all of God's creation is a blessing and a gift to man. You breathe air with oxygen in it, there's a reason. You eat food that's good to the taste because in the in the bible it says that god would make it good for food you see flowers and sunsets and a little baby and you drink water when you're thirsty and it satiates that thirst and you hear music and it's beautiful and laughter and it's beautiful and you can sing and you have raiment and you have shelter that you're going to go home to tonight that right now there are people in Turkey that may live and die, live the rest of their life without any shelter. Can you even imagine three weeks being buried under rubble? Alive? But you have these good things that just want to remind all of us, including me, that every good and perfect gift is from above. That's what the Bible says. Why? Because God is full of loving kindness. He's gracious. And no, he's not just a teeny tiny bit gracious or generous so that you see his goodness in a microscope. It's the very opposite. He is a starry universe of goodness and loving kindness that we need to look at at a telescope and magnify for what it is. That we praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures here below. When I was a teenager, the assistant pastor, one of the assistant pastors at my church was a country boy, North Carolina country boy, but he really loved the Lord. And his favorite comment, which he said all the time, his favorite comment was, God is in the blessing business, Brother Bruce Blunt. He wasn't the most college-educated, polished man in our church, but man, he magnified his life, his words, he magnified the Lord. I'd come to church and I'd say, Hey, Brother Blunt, my dad, he got that job. And he said, You know why, son? Because God's in the blessing business. He'd say it, and we would say it with him when he started to say it, because we figured it out. He'd say, I don't believe in luck. Someone said, like, Good luck. I don't believe in luck. God's in the blessing business. You believe that? Because it's true. We can magnify the Lord to our children spouse to our neighbors to people around us we can magnify the Lord for who he really is with thanksgiving and we can do it because of his mercy Mary says because of his provision and also number three because of his glory just for who he is look at Luke 1 again verse 49 for he that is mighty hath done to me great things and holy is his name one of the things I'm not fond of with all these new modern tv shows and depictions of God and Jesus is that there's no sense of the holiness of his name and who he is he's a great God he's mighty she said verse 51 he has showed strength with his arm He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. Verse 52, He hath put down the mighty from their seats and exalted them of low degree. What a mighty God. And once again, David in Psalm 69 says the same thing when he says, I will magnify the Lord with thanksgiving. He says in verse 30, you'll see it on the screen, I will praise the name of God with a song and will magnify Him with thanksgiving. This also shall please the Lord better than an ox or bullock that hath horns and hooves The humble shall see this and be glad. Now, I thought about those verses for a while. Why does David, a devout follower, a Jew, and a devout follower of the law of Moses, say that giving thanks magnifies God and pleases God more than sacrifices and offerings? Those things are in the law. It almost sounds like he's dissing it a little bit. Because didn't the sacrifices magnify God? No. And let me remind you why. You understand that thanksgiving itself, praise, rejoicing in your heart, magnifies God. Thanksgiving glorifies God simply because benefactors are, benefactors are more glorious than beneficiaries. Right? Now, think about this givers are more glorious than receivers. Jesus said it is more blessed to give than to receive. The greatest giver, the greatest benefactor ever, of course, is God because every good gift comes from above. So when we acknowledge his goodness and his blessing, we magnify his greatness. We magnify his glory. That's why, you know, when kids are in competition with each other, it's hard for them to get them to say thank you. Rick, say thank you to Andy. Thanks. Andy, say you're welcome welcome why is that so hard because you know what saying thank you is a compliment it acknowledges and sort of magnifies that that act of goodness but we hate to do that the flesh does not want to acknowledge any benefactor in fact you know what there's really just two kinds of people in this room right here tonight and listening where you are there are two kinds of people in the world those who magnify God and those who magnify themselves. Those who say, Look what I did, look what I did, I did this for myself, I did that. And those who magnify God. Really, the root of all ingratitude in, in our nation today, which is growing exponentially, is the love of one's own glory and own goodness. There's a whole humble brags. Humble brags are just a way of of showing your humility, but you're really bragging about yourself. Why does David mention animals and sacrifices? Look at another psalm. This is Psalm 50. Verse 10. For every beast of the forest is mine, and the cattle upon a thousand hills. I know all the fowls of the mountains and the wild beasts of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell thee, for the world is mine and the fullness thereof. Will he eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? Offer unto God thanksgiving. Here's what God is saying. If you're giving me sacrifices in bulls and goats, what are you really giving? I made them. You're not really giving me anything. I made all of them. They're already mine. And this is the entire problem of religion. It always finds a way to make himself the giver. Man does. And not acknowledge God alone is the giver. So the Bible says offered to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving. Why? Because that glorifies Him. When you give gra- praise and thanks, it glorifies Him. Psalm fifty twenty three says, Whoso offereth praise glorifieth me. Let's close again with Mary's words, shall we? You're in Luke, right? Chapter 1. And Mary said, My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God, my Savior. For he hath regarded the low estate of his handmaiden. Verse 49 says, For he that is mighty hath done to me great things, and holy is his name. Do you realize that every one of you in this room, if you're saved, verse 49 is your testimony? No, you're not the mother of the Savior, but He hath done great things for you. And His name is holy. That's your testimony. You can sing it. You can shout it. You can say it. God has done great things to me. He pulled me out of the pit of the miry clay. He put a new song in my mouth. Even praise unto his name. He wrote my name in heaven. He's done great things to me, and yet holy. He's holy, and he's done these things. Verse fifty-one. And he has showed strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. And I just say tonight, beloved, may our lives be lived with gratitude on our hearts, on our lips. May our lives thus be lived, as as Paul says, to the praise of His glory. Because we can live that way. We can rejoice in our soul in the midst of hard times and tough times and difficult difficult times. And it is absolutely true. The counsel that I gave to that that young man in our church the other day when I said, he's going through a tough time and there's just one struggle, when I said, be grateful, have gratitude, look around. It does make your life a life of rejoicing and it does glorify and magnify God. That's what thanksgiving does. And you can be thankful for his mercy, thankful for his greatness, thankful for his goodness, his loving kindness. We all can. Not just Mary, not just David, but all of us. And God's people said? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. What a powerful text. And I think sometimes, Father, we are guilty because of the abuse that Rome has done with Mary, we are guilty of, of passing over the glory of this woman's life. The amazing moment as a teenage girl, a teenage girl quoting so much Scripture, praising you, and thus magnifying you, both then and always. And thank you for the, the testimony of David, who she quoted in doing the same. May this church, Father, by your grace and mercy, never seek to magnify man or men's works. May, may we be a church and a people who magnify you because we're grateful, thankful for your goodness and your loving kindness and your mercies that are new every morning. And By your mercies, we're not consumed and only by that. We praise you tonight, we love you tonight, and we thank you in Jesus' name, amen. On behalf of everyone at Beacon Baptist Church, we thank you for joining us today. Our prayer is that your heart and life has been impacted through the biblical truths of this message. If you have questions or would like more information, please contact us through our website at beaconbaptistchurch.org. That's beaconbaptistchurch.org. May the Lord bless you.